Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Alignment Academy. It's your host, Kristen. And if you're new here, I'm a spiritual mentor, angelic channel, mindset and business coach, and really just obsessed with helping people heal so they can step into their purpose and share their gifts with the world. Today, I have a really exciting guest. His name is Lucas Salome, and Lucas and I met through the internet where I meet most of my friends. He has an amazing podcast called The New Age Sage. I'll definitely link it below. But Lucas is a podcaster, a thought leader, a writer, and he really focuses on mental health to help uplevel the consciousness of humanity. And really, every time I meet a divine masculine, I just feel like I want to ask them every question under the sun because, I don't know, it's not every day that you run into a man that has really done the work and is actively looking to heal his own wounds and just heal the collective and all also is sharing his gifts with the world. So we talk about everything from how to be in conscious relationships. We talk about his past in which he overcame drug abuse and suicide and so many other traumatic events, but has truly come out on the other side and has really turned his pain into so much purpose and wisdom. So without further ado, I'm just going to let you guys get into the episode because it truly is packed with so much goodness and knowledge. I hope you guys enjoy it. If you did, please rate this episode five stars. Please leave me a review. I would love for you to share it with a friend or anyone who you think would benefit from it. You're about to notice I just dive right into the deep end with Lucas. So I hope you guys enjoy the episode. And without further ado, Lucas Salome. Hey, Lucas. Welcome to the Alignment Academy podcast. I'm so happy to have you here today. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Very, very happy to be here. Yeah. So I know that you are far along on your spiritual awakening journey, but like most awakening journeys, it doesn't really happen like when you have the spiritual awakening. It usually is kind of leading up to it. So I want to take my audience back to the beginning and myself because I don't know the story either, but what was your childhood like? Where did you grow up? Like, Tell us everything that kind of led to the moment of your awakening. (laughs) Damn, asking the deep stuff already. Um, I, I grew. I've always been very sensitive. I grew up with with severe health issues, uh, severe asthma. So I was waking up, kind of choking on my breath, unable to breathe most nights. Mm. Um, I didn't see my parents much at all. So I had you know abandonment stuff. Um, I learned that the only way I could receive love from my parents was through my dad, through being academically successful. So mm. that was my identity. Was just doing whatever I could to gain his validation through dominating through, you know, sports or, or academics. So that landed me into just, you know, kind of shutting down my sensitivity and my, you know, emotional world to just be robotic in that sense. Yeah. I went to, went to an Ivy League school. So that was my, my identity was unraveling that way, studied politics. And then about into my third year, I was pretty severe drug addict. I, was addicted to multiple pills, drinking, you name it. Almost died on multiple occasions. And COVID hit. I was stuck in the house, like all of us. And I think it was, you know, COVID was, was rough in many ways. It was beautiful because if it forced you to sit in your shit. It forced you to kind of see what the hell is going on in your life. So that's what did for me. I, I was stuck in seeing what I'd done to myself. Mm. And then I started, you know, seeing all the things, hearing all the things going through the, you know, the cliched spiritual awakening. And then I just realized, you know, the thesis of that to summarize, you know, it's a long story. I'm trying to give it into short 
summary here is that I had to honor the, the sensitive spiritual person who loved poetry and loved to mm-hmm. help people rather than the persona I was putting on of a macho bravado, yeah. you know, tough guy, frat boy, fuck boy. That wasn't me. Um, I think that's anyone's spiritual awakening essentially is to realize that who you've become isn't who you are and doing what you can to become who you're meant to be. That's what yeah. it is essentially. Doing I love what it takes to reach that point. I love that so much. And the reason I kind of just started with going deep is because honestly, even for me, it's really hard to find like men that are very in touch with their sensitive side or their feminine side, or just very embodied in both of their masculine and feminine, which doesn't make them any less masculine. If anything, I think that it makes them more. Um, And so it sounds like from a young age, like that was who your essence was, but as you evolved in childhood or just from what you experienced in terms of trauma and life experiences, it kind of hardened you. And so, so much of your story, like, I feel like I want to dive into it all, but what do you think it was the point where you kind of shut that down that maybe led to the pain of getting addicted to pills and drugs and partying? Yeah. So I, until I hit puberty, I I was, I was overweight. I was unattractive to women and deeply insecure. So I didn't mm-hmm. care about, I just was like, um, I accepted that I was the way I was in the way I was like, you know what? Mm-hmm. I'm overweight, I don't look good, I'm sensitive. It's just the way it is. And then I hit puberty and then uh, not to, you know, be superficially egoistic, but I gained, you know, what some would call good features uh, facially. And I, I became good at sports and I became athletic. And then I realized, oh, okay, all the women as a kid who told me I was gross and disgusting and all the men who wouldn't give me validation are now seeing me as this amazing person, this person worthy of praise and attention mm. because of the way I look and because I'm good at, at, at performing. Um, so I developed a persona. There's this uh, psycho- psychologist called Eric Burney who has a, a theory said that whatever, whatever we learn to gain like, um, like high fives from, from the world, that's who we become, our ego becomes in a way. Um, so th- that, that was me in, in a sense. I gained validation, high fives per se, from looking good, from being strong and being, you know, a, a stereotypical tough guy. And then that, you know, it got more and more, I got more and more false praise. You know, I had, you know, uh, the attention of, of the woman I desired as a kid. I was doing well in school. I had, you know, potential good jobs lined up. But then the, it, it hit me. I, this is actually what happened. All the things I desired egoistically, happened. You know, I manifest from the ego. You know, I want as a kid, I, I, I remember in my bed being like, I want the amazing grades. I want the, all, all the beautiful girls. I want the success. And then what I envisioned in that moment became reality once I was 20. And I felt, and I was like, this feels horrible. This is, I, this is not mm-hmm. what I want. This isn't me. I think that's what happens to so many of us. We manifest from the ego and then we get it. And we're like, that was not me. And then you learn to manifest from the soul. So I got it. I was like, this is not what I want. That should feel amazing. I should feel like the best person ever, but it just felt the opposite. And that made me basically realize that who I was, was, was an illusion. It wasn't actually me. And so do you think that that was the point where you turned, like you were, you had everything, you were unfulfilled. And was that when you turned maybe more to substances to try to help you feel something? Yeah, it was, it was unconsciously filling the void. Like, uh, I think most addiction starts off unconscious. Like, it became conscious when I started realizing I was wounded. But when we're unconsciously traumatized, we have no idea why. It becomes like a just, it's, we're medicating ourselves. We have no idea why. Like, you know, we, we see it as like a feeling. We see it as anxiety, depression. 
Um, we don't know that it's actually, you know, um, pretty deep unconscious issues that are showing up in our life, uh, such as repressed trauma or like me, you know, not being yourself in many ways. So I was reaching for the drugs because um, they, this is better put, the drugs allowed the side of myself that needed validation to come out stronger. So I was addicted to, to amphetamines, Adderall and, and stimulants. And that, that gave that side of me who was, you know, that, that I wanted validation from it, it gave it uh, volume and it mm -hmm. shut down the side of me that like, I couldn't give to the world. Right. Yeah. Which was the sensitive side of you. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. 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 That's so interesting because it only just like, what, what I'm also hearing too is from your childhood wound that you shared, like of only getting validation from your dad, almost like when you lost all the weight and went through puberty and we're getting the, getting the validation, it's almost like it re-manifested. It's like, okay, I'm only good enough if I am good looking and I have all these accolades and I get the good grades and I play the good sport. So it was probably just feeding your ego even more that like who I am at my core is not good enough. <laughs> Yeah, no, for sure. That that was that was my experience. I was I was outsourcing my sense of self worth, in in the sense like um. I fed myself and my soul and who I was through the praise of other people. It was there mm. for myself, um, and that's yeah. a common experience. And we all, we all face that. But I was really like I, I that was my my only food source, and when that food source was, food source was taken away, I was and let's say you know we all have phases in our life when we're not getting the affection or the love we desire and break up or you're, you're changing your, your, your friends. When you need that for yourself to feel whole, it feels like you're dying. And that's when the drugs would come in that when I was not getting that validation, I'd go to, to drugs to give that to me. Mm. Yeah. So obviously we're speaking from the other side of it. Like it sounds like you have learned to source your validation and worthiness within rather than without. So bring us through that journey. When was your rock bottom that you realized like, oh my gosh, I have to make a change or like figure this out? Yeah, I mean, I think I often say this, but when we're, this is a heavy topic, but when we're at a point where we don't want to be here, we actively want to end our lives. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, you know, in my podcast I've interviewed, almost everyone who's highly awake and aware has gone through a, a period of time when they were suicidal. Um, and I, I, even though it's rough and horrible in the moment, I think it's necessary. It's, it's, it's a symbolic journey of killing, literally like letting your old self yeah. die uh, and, and rebirthing into the new identity. So in that moment, you know, just when I was rock bottom and, and actively overdosing myself to not be here, thankfully, you know, I, I realized that this is that sign. Uh, thankfully, something channeled to me in that moment, whether you call it God or the universe, whatever it may be, it, was, it gave me the message that, um, the old you has to die. There, you know, obviously, it's find the good parts, find the gifts. But right now, from this point forward, you're committing to to cultivating a path to benefit your higher self, um, and that's that's the that's been the path since then. Yeah, and I I typically say to my clients too, I'm like, you're not going to change until you're not you're in enough pain. And I know that that's like a a weird thing to say to people, but like when they tell me like, I really want to do this thing, but I just haven't been able to do it. Sometimes I'm just like, they're just simply not in enough pain yet. And I think that there's so much yeah. truth to, you know, what you were saying of just like, you sometimes have to hit the lowest of the low to the, of the low to realize that y your entire identity and life that you are living has to die 
or or else that you really don't want to be here anymore. And so I so like appreciate you sharing that sentiment because I think that that's like you mentioned something that a lot of people have gone through, but there can be like some shame or yeah, just like a lot of a lot of feelings around just sharing that with the world that like you were suicidal and you didn't want to be here. And so I'm curious for you, how did you you know, obviously you talk about it a lot now on your own podcast. And if you guys don't know, um, Lucas has his own amazing podcast, but how did you kind of get over the hump of like sharing all of this to the world publicly? Yes. Yeah, so I, I read in a, in a book, it wasn't even like a trauma book. It was like a, your typical, you know, toxically masculine self-help list weights, be hard book. And it made one point that blew me away and everything. It was like, um, you can only own yourself if you kind of have kind of a billboard in like your town square where you're from saying mm -hmm. all the things you regret most in life. Like until you get to a point where you fully own all the shit in yourself and all the skeletons in your closet are out, you're not mm -hmm. free, you know, cause yeah. whatever, whatever stuck in shame will keep revisit, revisiting your mind until it's coated with love. So it's like it, in me, there was so much shit in my life that was stuck in shame, uh, whether it be, you know, certain things, trauma and, things I went through as, as, as a kid or, uh, you know, my drug addiction, you know, various things in my life that are, are pretty hard to admit as a man, they were lower my frequency. Whatever you hold in shame, shame's the lowest frequency. Whatever you hold, low, lower, hold in shame, and if that memory of shame goes to the forefront of your, your conscious mind, and it, it gets stuck there, your frequency is, is all the way back to the bottom. Let's say mm -hmm. you're enjoying life. You're in a good spot. You've got good friends. Your work's going well. And that skeleton from your closet pops up in your mind. You're back to the bottom. And until those skeletons become visible, that's always going to be going to be a trap in your mind. So I knew that for me to honor myself and not have any shame and to let my, my frequency come up and be fully authentic and own myself, I had to basically put the most fucked up shit I had, I've been through on, on social media. I mean, more so with my writing and my articles, but everything I've been through, I consider horrible and, and embarrassing in my life is now in the forefront of, of the internet. And that may mm -hmm. seem like, you know, like I want attention or some other, you know, victim shit that I, un I understand people would, would see. But for me, it just helped me remove any shame. Yeah. Way I'm and that's something that I, I teach a lot actually in my programs of like, really it's shadow work, you know, the things that we find shameful about ourselves, those are still parts of us. And until you fully integrate those whole, like fully, you can't be your full authentic self because you're essentially like dancing around those things. And in the sure. dance, you're not your authentic self. Do you feel like when you started to share these really deep truths with the world is that when you started to feel like more of yourself and kind of yeah just more in your purpose hell yeah you know i i think we're talking frequency you can't unlock your highest frequency if you're, if you're not authentic that's the highest form of it right yeah. like i can immediately see in someone my requisite for friendship or to even spend my time with someone is if I sense her being authentic. The minute mm -hmm. I sense someone is wearing a mask or a false persona, mm -hmm. it's all love, no judgment, but I just can't align myself with them. They're not, they're, yeah. they're that kind of person that will try and, and use you to, to, to validate their own self-image in yeah. my experience. So the minute I started recognizing that, I was like, okay, my, my most important thing, dedication to myself is authenticity. And the more I've honored that, the more, not only myself is it amazing, but it's reflected back to me. 
-hmm. Like the more I've honored my authenticity, the more I've been able to make uh, amazing friendship connections, romantic connections, whatever you, you name it. Because when you when you try and, and meet someone or connect to someone off a mask, you're getting a mask back. You know, play stupid games, win, win stupid prizes. You're, you're going to get a mask back. Right. If you go with yourself and connect with someone as yourself and they're themselves, the potential of that is, is beautiful. So I want to go back a little bit because we, I, I know that you hit your rock bottom, but like, I know personally for me, when I'm in my rock bottoms, there's so many transformative things and magic that happens there. So what actually happened in the rock bottom that got you to here? You I mean, you have a podcast now, you're successful. And it seems like, you know, from the outside, I'm sure I don't know everything, but you're mo mostly in your purpose and your mission. But how did you get from drug addict at your rock bottom, suicidal to where you are now? Like, what was that process really look like? Take us behind the scenes of that. Yeah, so it's, it's a hard thing to describe because I don't want to make it seem like, you know, when you hit rock bottom, there's one magic revelation and then you're ascended to the, to the right. heavens. It's there's a process. Like um, but what, what I can say is that I, the, the rock bottom, the biggest thing is that it, it forced me to not deny my spirituality. Um, like, uh, when, once the awakening happened, I was, uh, I was quite literally going crazy. Um, I, crazy is a strong word, but, um, I was hearing voices all around, uh, all around. Um, I was seeing things moving. <laughs> I was, um, it was intense. Um, but what was that it did, actually like going crazy or was it like seeing your spirit guides and hearing like, what was it? I think it was a combination of things. Okay. <laughs> um, even to me, even, even cra crazy isn't crazy. Crazy is access to different portal. I think people who are, this is, a, this yeah. is a, obviously off top. I think people who are actually crazy are just tapped in somewhere else. Anyways. Um, <laughs> once those things started happening to me, I was like, uh, okay, I, I have, I'm denying this connection to it, to it, to my, my, my guides, my, my higher power to whatever it may be that has to stop so that I have to live my life in connection and do what I can to increase that connection. That was the first step that made the biggest uh, shifts. And the more I opened that channel, the more I could receive wisdom uh, not to, to, to learn to shift myself. That was the biggest step. What I can say is that it wasn't one move, it was a mindset that shifted me. People think it's like one, one step, it, it was adopting a mindset. The mindset was being ruthlessly meticulous in removing what didn't serve me anymore. Whether mm -hmm. it be my, my thoughts, behaviors, habits, people around me, it's constantly asking for guidance as to what's stopping me from accessing my highest self. Clear, mm -hmm. please. And it, what came up, it was constantly, you know, is for one month, it was maybe like a, a habit, whether it be, you know, porn or, or eating like shit or, or things I used to do in my past. And then it would be, okay, the habits are clean. Then it'd be thought patterns, victim thought patterns, um, insecure thought patterns. And then it could be the people you're around. It's like God or the universe will gradually show you if you ask what's not serving you. Mm -hmm. You can't do it all at once. It's, it's, taking your time to slowly move the plate. And after doing this maybe three years now, I, I have a pretty clean road. But it took about three years to understand what, was, I'm still doing it, to understand what was stopping me from accessing my highest potential. Wow, that's, that's amazing. And it's really well put that it's like, doesn't happen overnight. It's like, over time, you're just shedding, shedding, shedding this new, this old identity and slowly stepping into the new version of you, which is like, Again, it like sounds beautiful when we speak about it, but when you're actually in it, it can feel super painful, especially when you're ending those relationships and you're like just in the day to day. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And so and that's something that you mentioned is like you, 
I had to start living in connection with the higher power and my guide. So even today, what does that look like to you? What does your practice look like of living in connection to a higher power or with your spirit guides? Yeah. So, you know, everyone's different in their own way. Um, I don't have the ability to, to channel them greatly. Um, so I've learned to hire people who work mm -hmm. with me to channel for me. So some people have women, I think women, uh, you know, divine women are, are, are masters at this. They're, they're intuitively more gifted than men in some ways. Um, so I, I trust the women around me to channel for me. Um, but I have a good, I have a good connection to, to God in a way, but it isn't, it's not like he's like yelling at me from down in the sky. It's more yeah. so like, it's a combination of things. I, I know how to analyze dreams. So analyzing my own dreams has been useful. Yeah. But also just, just things that, you know, asking God, you know, show me, show me the way and make it easy. I, whenever I'm asked, it's, it's constant prayer. Whenever I need help with anything, it's constant prayer and it, it'll come up. Like things will come up in the universe, the world, like symbols mm -hmm. will show me, oh, oh, you know, I can't be doing this and, and a dream will come or things like that. But for actual like channeling as to what, you know, I think your angels, your angels are constantly communicating to you what mm -hmm. you need to do for yourself. That, that's, yeah. that's what they're there to do. Um, I'm decent at listening to them, but I have women around me who are a lot better than me. So I'll just ask them, you know, what, what, what are you hearing? And they'll tell me and I'll, I'll do it. But everyone, everyone has their own way. But I think that the highest piece may be just to live, live for something outside of me. You know, that, mm -hmm. that's the, the spirituality is, is to not be so self-serving. That when we refuse to, when I, when I refuse to believe in a higher power, I was only living life for my ego, my validation and getting praise and wanting money, all these things. So whatever you value the most becomes God. So once the higher power became the thing I live for, I stopped suffering as much. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a, a good, a good point. And I think the universe, if you're open to it or source or God or whatever, you know, the listeners are identifying with, I think sometimes people ask me too, they're like, how, how do you, you know, live in communion with source or how do you get messages all the time and when you realize that like the universe is actually always talking to you like even for me i can hear some things and sometimes it's not always voices that i'm hearing it's like a sign on the street that's saying the exact yep. question i'm asking or yep. it's a friend that's texting me that says something that's like so out of the blue that i'm like that is a sign and so it's kind of beautiful when you just start looking at your entire life as a synchronicity <laughs> No, no doubt it's 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 essential like i to back up what you're saying whatever you energy you put out to the world you're going to receive back so it's it's the universe is a, is a mirror it mm -hmm. mirrors back what's going on inside so for me you know romantically as an example right let's say i attract someone who is displaying characteristics i don't appreciate i don't like you know the popular answer is they were a narcissist they were you know a bitch a gaslighter all the names you name it and sometimes it may be true, but the most useful thing to do is say, well, what part of me attracted this? Mm -hmm. You know, we're in constant co-creation. Like, um, you know, some people, this is a stupid example, but some people will think that their, their phones listening to them in many ways and, and getting advertisements. And I, I, I think that's true, but it's also like, if, whatever you're talking about is energy and you're focusing on energy and the energy can be given back to your phone, your phone can give back to you. So it's like, the shit's all connected, you know? So it's, use the symbols and the synchronicities to show you where you're at internally and mm -hmm. it helps keep awareness right like it just whatever you call into your life is is, is your is your fault in my opinion 
Um, and that's an extreme stance. You know, there's obviously extremes like you know, a violent assault and stuff like that. But if, if, if someone's not treating you right or something fails or something's happening you don't like, it's, you, you co-created it. And it's, yeah. it's on you to own why you did that. It sounds like you've had a lot of growth and life lessons and just soul evolvement through the art of relationships. So I'd love to dive in a little bit more about how relationships have shaped you. I know that you have clearly done some inner works, inner child work, some shadow work around this, but I know you mentioned in the beginning that you didn't have a close relationship with your mom or your dad. How do you think that that affected you romantically and like what have you done to maybe undo the patterns or what are you currently doing? Yeah, that, that, that's, I think we each have our, our life's work. Um, whatever, I think whatever we're an expert at in this work is something that's been our karma, our calling. Mm-hmm. Uh, mine's been, been relationship stuff. Um, that's been my deepest wound. Like all the triggers in life don't phase me that much, but relationship ones really fuck with me. Mm. Um, used to, now, now we're, they still fuck with me, but it doesn't affect my mind as much. Um, I'm still able to be, to be present. Um, but yeah, so my mom and I, we're always close and we have a very, you know, strong karmic spiritual connection, but she, she had severe mental health issues that she had known to deal with. So, mm-hmm. and I was exacerbating them. So to be compassionate to her, she just was young when she had me. So she couldn't, she couldn't, you know, I grew up, you know, with a babysitter all the time. So she just didn't have it in her to deal with my shit my health issues while she was also severely depressed and, and anxious and all you name it. So I grew up with a babysitter by my side all the time, which taught me that my, my mom would rather hand me off to someone to deal with me. And it showed me that like, one, I'm not worthy of love. And, and two, I'd have to basically shape shift myself in a way to get her attention to receive love. Mm. And that's our, our identity. A lot of the time, our identity becomes who we shift ourselves to be to receive love from our caretakers. So I learned that like if I was hyper expressive and emotional and sick, I'd get her attention and love. So that would mean like screaming, yelling, hitting, or, 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 or like scratching myself and, and having an asthma attack. So then, you know, that's what I learned to be associated with love. And that's, that's the, that's, you know, however we, we learn to love our, our dad or mom, it's, it's what's transferred to our partners. It's, it's a, it's a psychological term called transference. So fast forward to me at like 17, 18, um, I suddenly would get into a relationship or date someone out of nowhere. I felt like I was dying that whenever they didn't answer a text or a call or they were out, mm-hmm. someone I didn't know, I would literally feel like I was dying. Um, and at the time I had no idea what was going on. Right. Cause I was a 17, 18 year old. I was a kid. Um, so what I do is I'd end up being controlling. I'd end up manipulating, gaslighting, do all the things that, you know, toxic men would do. And, you know, it's, it's tough saying that, but I just, I, I, I didn't, didn't know how to handle it. I didn't know how to deal with it. Um, and, then, and, and then once I awakened, I realized that why I was doing what I was doing, why I was incredibly wrong and healing it. And, and mm-hmm. the, the, that's been the main work for me is, is learning how to heal that wound. And the, the, the answer I come to is that relate, if you have trauma like, like me or you have abandonment issues, whatever it may be, um, that's going to fly up in relationships. A hundred percent. You have no doubt about it. You need to be with someone who you feel safe enough with to process the, the, the trauma. And I'm not saying that it's their responsibility to heal you. That that's wrong. You know, I, where I started off incorrectly was thinking like, I get triggered and be like, you have to make me feel safe. You have to help fix me. No, the person has to be, it's also the way you communicate, right? If you get triggered and you're like, you did this, you did this. But if you say it's in your, it's in your communication, if you say, Hey, when this happened, 
not blaming you. I felt this come up in my system. It's, a, it's from when I was a kid, and you tell them the story, right? For me, you know, I was locked in the house. My mom didn't know where she was, whatever the story may, story may be. I'm not blaming you. I just want to speak to it. And if the person's a, a, an in-touch, sane human being, you know, most people in dating are fucking messes, and they'll be like, what, what are you talking about? Like, what the hell? What are you saying? I'm out. But if, you, if you're with someone who, like, actually is somewhat emotionally sensitive, it's pretty easy to just be like, for five minutes, oh, I'm, I see you. I'm, I'm sorry that happened. How can I help you process with you? That's how you heal. That's how we heal relationship stuff. Like you have to be with someone who gets it. Um, so all you people out there who are listening to this, you have, if you're, if you're interested in what we're talking about, you have spiritual connection. You're deep. You have depth. Don't fucking waste your time with people who don't have depth. Like mm-hmm. it's, you're going to end up re-traumatizing yourself. And I, I've made that mistake and it's, it, it, and we, it's not worth it. It's really not worth it. You end up, you know, basically lodging the trauma into your system deeper. Mm-hmm. It's not worth it. Yeah. I love what you're saying about this. And I think that there's so much awareness that can be found, especially in like the types of relationships that you attract. It's kind of funny and it's fun game to play with the universe because as you heal these deeper wounds, you start to attract people who can hold space for what you're going through or the conversations that you're needing to have. Um, Have you found that as you started to heal, the quality and caliber of woman that you attract has been higher and better? just to reflect that healing back in your reality? Yeah, so my issue was that for the first three, so I had my awakening at 21-ish. And then from 21 to 24, 23, later 23, like the three, that three year span, I was with someone for three years. Um, And I have immense gratitude and love for them Um, in many ways, you know, uh, it it helped shape me to where I am today. But I was healing all this stuff and changing, and she wasn't. She's a lovely person. She didn't have the depth to match me. Mm-hmm. And I just stayed in it for, for too long in, in the sense that I thought that she would eventually match it and change and help me. And then, you know, of course, she never did. And it's all good. That, that's her karma. That's her life. Um, but that, that was my experience then. And then it got to a point that was probably the hardest thing is my mom passed away about a year ago. And then oh, wow. a couple months after I, I ended my three year relationship all, all in one. Um, that's what I needed to go through oh to, to, to up level myself. But yeah, so then that, that ended that me ending that was basically creating the contract, the breaking the karmic contract that I was previously insane. Like I'm now entering a new, new period in my life where I welcome in a partner who can match my, my depth. And it's yeah. not this traumatic bonding anymore. But I had to experience that to learn that, right? I think that's, mm-hmm. when we look back at our partners, we can think that he was a narcissist, he sucked, da, da, da. There are ones to find the one. Like, I couldn't appreciate a healthy lover if I, if I didn't experience the unhealthiness. We live in a world of, of, of contrast, right? You can't, you don't know hate without love. You, you cannot appreciate healthy love if you haven't experienced what, what unhealthy love tastes like, right? You can't, you can't appreciate good food if you don't know what, what bad food tastes like, so... Learn to appreciate and thank your experiences that weren't the most savory for your, you know, your, your, your heart because they, they end up making you appreciate what's good for you. Facts. I love that. I love that. On the topic of just divine masculine men, this is a topic I just love talking about because I just feel like I don't have to get to have this conversation a lot. But what do you think is one of the biggest masculine wounds that society is facing today? There's many. Um, the biggest one I see is 
there's many. I'm trying to think of of one that's relatable. Probably the inability for men these days to integrate the feminine inside their mm-hmm. own system. Um, what that means is, you know, we live in a world where masculine and feminine are not being, you know, chastised and labels aren't good. I use them. I'll explain this way. I understand if you don't agree with me. Um, the, the feminine, when you're a kid, right, and you hurt yourself and you have a very feminine mother and you're in pain, you're sprinting to her. Why? Because she allows you, she adds tenderness, love, healing energy to the wounding. And if men don't have that internally, if men don't have the love inside of themselves to turn to when things go south, for example, let's say man gets his heart broken, he gets cheated on in his life. Most men will go to alcohol. They'll do whatever they can to numb and not feel the emotion because they can't, they can't be present with themselves with love. What a man who integrates a feminine looks like is when those experiences happen, softening yourself enough to process the wounding. So a man who's integrated as feminine, when he encounters pain, he can be still with the pain, with love, not resist it, and allow it to break his heart open to make him stronger as a man. Mm-hmm. When men think they're being masculine by numbing and suppressing their wounding, they're not. They're becoming boys. They're giving, yeah. at, they're giving more power to the inner child, to their own repressed traumatic parts of themselves. When a man can be present with wounding and add his heart to it and deepen, his depth as a man increases. And you see that in men who are, who are healthy masculine men is that they have depth with love because they've been present with themselves and the parts of themselves that are, un, are ugly. And the wounding I see is men being unable to be present with wounding. But the only way for men to be stronger and grow is they cannot resist their, their, their pain, right? I spent, but when I was toxically masculine, when I was hiding behind drugs, alcohol, and, and partying and, and, you know, being a player, it was all in resistance to the wounding. I was doing all that stuff, stuff because I couldn't process my childhood trauma. I, I couldn't do it. So I was, I was basically putting on this bravado, this persona to numb it. Once I realized, I thought that would make me more masculine, right? I was, I was attracting a lot of women, but they were, they were equally wounded. It was like this, this mirror. When I learned to be present and deep with my, my trauma, my pain, my masculine essence increased for some reason. I do believe it's, it's that, that when men can be present with their pain, with, with love and, and purpose, they can alchemize it into a, a stronger mm-hmm. sense of, of self. I totally agree. And when I'm, the words that are coming to my mind right now are just like the courage to feel. Because I think that most men equate feeling and feelings and feeling pain with um almost just like whatever the opposite of being masculine is it's like they just don't think it's it's like a manly thing to do but from someone who i like to identify mostly has healed a lot of my inner wounds like i think that men feeling is like the most courageous thing that they can do because it really allows like you said it's proof that they've been able to sit with themselves and hold themselves through it and if you can't hold yourself through it, there's no way that you can hold your a partner through difficult emotions as well. Yeah, no, no, that, that's, I forgot that part. It's an important piece. Thank you for saying that. Um, yeah, if you want to be, a, you know, I'm able to be a, a, a healthy partner because I think the masculine's duty is to be present with, with his uh, woman's uh, emotions. You know, women, women are, emotional beings as we as are all of us i think one of the main issues we face is men immediately go into to analyze or or deny women's emotions right she's like going through something and being emotional like 
they either go straight to like, this is why, or da da da, or and being like, Logical. I don't want to deal with this. Yes. Um, but what what women really want is a man to just be still, like feel the what they're going through, and in themselves, not try not feel it themselves, have empathy and process it with them in that way, and just help be that that presence for them in, in a way to to pass it by. And that that starts valuing your point. That starts within. Like a man has to do that for himself. Like I I won't get phased by my partner's emotions at all because I don't get phased by mine. It, it just goes that way. Like mm-hmm. I, I can be present and not have to think away or analyze my own emotions and be still with them. That then transfers. Absolutely. Yeah. And to your point, honestly, just to flip this, I don't think that it's always the men's fault either. I think that there are women who who also kind of like poke the wound when men are trying to be, you know, more in their emotions or in their feels. There can also be women who are very, very um, unsupportive of that, right? And so I'd love to talk a little bit about red flags for women that you have seen, because I think it's just like a fun topic to talk about. What are some red flags that like a woman hasn't done the work on themselves to maybe be in a relationship of the capacity that you look for? It's subjective to my own experience. And, you know, I may say things that sound semi-controversial, but it's just from my own subjective, yeah. you know, attraction things. Totally. Um, I, I, I like to believe that I'm a, I'm a masculine person. Um, I, I try and own that and, and it's a big important piece to me. So if I, I, if I am a woman who can't allow room for masculinity to, to operate, I can't do that. Um, right. For, for example, as if, you know, I want to hold the door open and they're like, no, I want to do it. Like shit like that for me, it just doesn't, it's just like a denial of, of, um, my own, uh, masculinity and another one's respect, um, for, for me, like, a, a just not, not being disrespectful. That's, that's a, that's a pretty obvious one. But the biggest one for me, I think is, is that's more of my, my own, my, my own shit and my own manly way of viewing things. But one that's more present for all sexes is, is how well can they deal with my vulnerability? That, that's the biggest one, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you're revealing things about your past, they're stuck in shame, trauma, past wounding. If someone adds that shame, you're fucked. If you go say, hey, when you did this, I remember that time where I was abused or I was, you know, locked in a, in a, in, a, in my room as a kid and beat up. And then the person looks at you like, or like, like, how can you say this? Like you're, you're being, you know, a, a, like a, a girl. If someone is disrespecting you in that way, that's your sign that this, that's the biggest red flag, right? Because mm-hmm. then you end up shaming yourself and, and going back within. So the, the biggest green flag I look for is someone who has the ability to communicate, right? If someone doesn't have the ability to communicate at a, at a conscious level with depth, I have no interest. Um, mm-hmm. Absolutely none at all. That's the biggest red flag is an inability to know how to handle vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And kind of bringing it back to what we were talking about with the men, I think that that comes from being able to go be vulnerable with yourself, right? It's always like a mirror of, it's like that dumb quote, you can only meet others at the depth that you met yourself. But there's so much truth of that, especially in relationships. No, no, no doubt. It's, it's the only way. I think that's a important thing to remember if you're, if you're single, you know, we have this, it's, I have compassion for the wounding, but most of our minds when we're single go to, 
everything will be fixed once I meet this person. And you'll just live your life. You go to the club, you, you know, you, you have casual sex, you'll do all these things and, and not work on yourself. And then you just keep complaining. Mm. But it's like, you know, the better thing to do when you're single is, is, you know, be the qualities you want to see in someone else. And in, in that, in that pursuit, you'll, you'll be ready for that person. You know, it's just like, when you're single, you have to be real with yourself, right? I had to be real with myself. It was like, would the opposite of me be worthy of being in a relationship with? Mm-hmm. Like, would my, my, my female opposite have the same internal depth as me? Would I want to be with someone like that? And the answer was no. I had, you know, I couldn't. I had things myself that I didn't want to be a part of. So it was until that's gotten to a place where you're like, huh, okay, I like this and it's useful. However, caveat, it is true that sometimes you can grow with someone. I don't want to deny that, right? Like you can have these things you need to work on and then be with someone who's helping you work on them. So if you're in that spot, be aware you need to work on something. And if that person comes and you're dating, make sure that you have the space to grow together. I love those. Those are really, really great tips. Just to kind of piggyback off of that, and then we'll move on to another topic. What are some of the things that you, what are some of your favorite tools for practicing your own self-love? There's multiple facets to this, right? There's the the actual piece of self-love, which is, you know, to, when you're having moments of shame or self-embarrassment or, or ridicule or you're hating on yourself, just taking a step back to feel, you know, feel God's love, feel, you know, your heart and, and literally love yourself into healing. Um, and that could also mean like your shadow. When your shadow arises, your ego arises, right? Like a mentor of mine, when I asked him, what do I do when my shadow's yapping at me or all this shit? He's like, go into your heart. Say, thank you, shadow. I love you, shadow. I hear you. You're trying to protect me and warn me of things, but I'm in control. So it's, it's, it's first loving, actually loving yourself when you're going through moments of shame, but then also learning to love the parts of yourself that are unlovable. That's what self-love is, right? Like when you have a side of yourself that's uh, a victim or aggressive or, you know, too horny or, you know, too whatever, all the things you're working on, right? It's like learning to say, this is me. And the more I, I negate or, or deny or repress these sides of me, the more they're going to end up fucking me in, in a later, later, longer run. So that's another piece, loving the parts of you that are unlovable. That's a big part. Another one that's not talked about enough is, is, is ruthless discipline. That's, that's self-love to me. You know, like, um, I, I, I don't, most of the things I do in a day, I don't want to do. But I know I have to do them because they, they create the life for me that I need. Right? Like, you know, I get a nice bath every morning, working every day, mm-hmm. doing things that are, are you know, my, my ego doesn't want to do. But I know that whatever I, the formula I have for my, my, my happiness is, is strict, you know, and that also means being disciplined with your own thought pattern, right? Like loving yourself sometimes means saying, yes, I love you, ego. I love you, shadow saying that, but it can also be like, I'm not entertaining these thoughts. I'm not doing this shit. Like if the victim compass comes in, if the, the self shame comes in, it gets to a point where to be like, I'm not doing this shit out of love for myself and discipline. I'm not doing this shit. And habits too, like being on your phone too long, if you're a guy watching porn, if you're a girl comparing yourself, comparing yourself too much to like influencers, you have to self-love and say, I'm not doing this shit. Peace. I'm out. I, I cannot do this to myself. I love what you said about that because I've been having a similar just mindset shift lately as I am on my own self-love journey as we all are, that sometimes like I really do need to sit with my inner child and I need to sit with my shadow and I need to give those parts of me love. 
And then there's other times where I'm like, girlfriend, you have been crying for two days straight. You got to get your ass up and keep it moving, you know? And it's like really knowing which side you, it's just self-awareness of like, what, what do I actually need right now? Do I need to tend to that inner child and shadow self? Or do I need to channel my higher self and really be the mother or the, you know, the loving grandfather to myself and be like, we have to keep going. You're going to be okay. Let's keep it moving. So I love that you brought that up that like, it can be not one or the other, but both in different moments. Yeah. It depends, you know, to add some useful, actionable steps for the listener um, to differentiate on how, which one do you choose, right? To, to back up for a second. Let's say you're in a moment where it's like, okay, you have this inner child pattern come up and you're in a moment where it's okay, do I sit down, feel and process this? Or is it one of those moments where I just suck it up and, and do my thing? The line I've learned is that how loud is the volume of, of, of the wound? So like if that thought pattern comes up, the inner child, the shadow, and you feel intense, intense shame, you feel intense dread or, or sadness, you have to move that energy. Obviously, if you have space, right? If you're at, you know, if you're at Cheesecake Factory or if you're at somewhere and you can't process it, then, then no. But like, if you have space and it's, in, it's loud, you've got to tend to it. So it gets to a point now for me because I've moved so much of the trauma through my own you know, journey of psychedelics and somatic work and all that kind of stuff. It gets to a point where it's just, it's just a, a voice. It's a loud voice. There's no energy behind it. That's when I'm like, nope. Nope. When there's no stuck traumatic energy in my body, it's just a, a, a subconscious habit or some you know, nefarious spirit speaking through me. I, I have to be in that moment. It's like, nope, I'm not, I'm not doing this. That's, that's mm-hmm. the line I've learned. Yeah, I love that. And that's a really good a good uh, gauge to what you need. I think it's right. It's basically like if there's a really big trigger in your body, go tend to that trigger. But if it's just a mindset or a kind of pendering thoughts, then kind of go to that higher self. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously there's, and there are moments in time when we live in the capitalist world, it's hard to schedule time to process. Mm-hmm. So if you're, if you're in a space where like it's loud, it's also important. It's possible. It's possible to be present and still with emotion while doing your thing. And that sounds insane, but let's say I have a trigger of, let's say back when I was 22 and my girlfriend at the time wasn't answering the phone for a couple of hours and that, tr- that abandoned kid came out and I was, uh, I was like, whoo, I felt like I was, I was dying. And I was, you know, I was, I had to work or do things like that to you know, create my life. Don't deny the emotion. Like you can, you can be present with the emotion in your body and allow it to sit and also do your thing. Like we think that it's either deny or just, or just absolve and, and just absorb the, the trauma. There's a way of, of, of feeling the, the, the pain with presence and mm-hmm. also going about your day, you know? Yeah. And I think it's probably different too, for the genders. Just, I know that like from observing, I feel like men are better and you can tell me if I'm wrong. Cause obviously I don't know. I feel like men are better at compartmentalizing and like pushing things out. Whereas I feel like personally, I don't have the capacity to do that. Like if I'm feeling something, it's everywhere in my brain, in my body until I deal with it. Do you feel like, yeah, yeah I'm like actually just curious your opinion. Do you feel like that's accurate? I, I do think that's accurate. Yeah, I, I do think that's accurate. Why do you yeah. think that is? Um, I, didn't, I can explain two levels on a like 
traumatic level, you know, just, just not going into the spirituality side of things. Men get rewarded based on how stoic they are in society. Mm. That, that's the thing, right? Like growing up, you don't gain brownie points of masculinity by being emotional, right? Like you can, you can have a, a, a girl in a class be emotional and, 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 and you know, I, I was just experiencing this on, on um, I was watching a reality show, with my sister, and there's one character who was always crying all the time. And it was like, and you wouldn't think less of her as a woman. If a man was like that, a, a straight masculine man, every man would be like, like, that guy's a bitch. Like, that just would be their reaction. Yeah. So men don't have the space to do that. That's, what, that, that's, that's one piece. And also, like, men get rewarded in society by, by basically doing things they don't want to do over and over again to gain power and influence and, and, and money. So it's like, that, that's another piece, too. So there's, there's just less freedom for men to, to do that, and it's kind of downloaded into their brain. But evolutionary, it's also, it's, I think it's woman, it's the spiritual piece now and, and a little scientific. A man is not safe to woman if he's reactive. Because, you know, we, we are the physically stronger species. We are capable of more violence and aggression and, and rape, all the bad things. The amount of domestic, domestic abuse, you know, domestic violence is the number one crime in, in, in this country, in the world. Most, most police calls are domestic abuse from men. So for a woman to feel safe, she has to know that her man is able to feel angry, feel disgusted, feel whatever, and not react and, and see it and not take it out on her. So that's, that's also another thing. Whereas a man, if a woman's being emotional, it's not threatening to him. It's not, she, he, I can feel safe if my romantic partner is crying and screaming. That doesn't affect me. But if I'm yelling and hitting shit as a man to the feminine, that's like, you know, it's, it's, it's very jarring. So I think as men, it's important to, I think men's work to me the strength of a man is, is basically how present can you be with your emotions and not react to them. Mm. And obviously you have, you, have, you have space as a man. Like I think being in men's groups and, and, and yelling at each other and fighting is important to release it. But as the safety and, and, and it's imperative for you as a man to learn to have non-reactivity over, over your, your, your deeply strong aggression. Yeah. And it sounds like community for you has been a really helpful part of your journey of like, expressing your healthy masculine so can you speak a little bit about that of what that looks like for you of like just being in community of other conscious men yeah so i i don't do it as much i don't need it as much when i was just starting and i i had so much shame and repressed emotions i had to be seen for that like i I was part of a men's group where i live in, in austin where basically you'd there'd be like 30 guys and you go in the middle of a circle and say like your your most fucked up shit you know whether mm-hmm. you know it sounds like crazy whether you were in jail for murder or you did something terrible the you know, std whatever the craziest thing is you'd say it and then you would emotionally react and you have all these men holding the space for you wow and then at the end they'd all they'd all come together and hold hold you that was a powerful experience i used to do that for for about for like half half a year every every week and i think for men it's important because you know, this is, I'm sure you'll notice this, that when, if you're in a group of girlfriends and when you're upset or going through something, you just show up, let's say your friends are all hanging out at Stacy's house. You go to Stacy's house, you're upset, you go on the couch. All those women are tending to your emotions, right? As a man, it's not a thing. Like, I, I, I hope it becomes a thing, but most men will go to their group and be like, my wife cheated on me. Um, you know, I found out my dad died or, you know, I found out my friend betrayed me. 
and they're met with a whiskey bottle or suck it up. And why it's important for men to go to men, men's work is that you learn that men who have integrated a feminine or healthy beings can hold space for you, that uh, any man should be able to go to their friend and have space to break down. And the reason why so many men, kill, the suicide rate for men is, is just way higher than a woman is because we, we, most men never get that, get that chance, right? They never get that chance to unload and be seen for their shame. Women, beautifully and intelligently, just have figured, we've, they figured that out. We, we haven't figured that out yet. So true. And I think that there's so much healing and being seen and witnessed. And like, I can't even imagine, I just like, I really can't even imagine it in my body. If I wasn't able to express any of my emotions, I literally feel like I would probably shrivel up and die. So I'm sure that's how a lot of other men feel. I mean, I don't think that they're any less sensitive than women. I think that they just have learned to repress and repress and repress. Yeah, no doubt. It's exactly what happens. You know, you can, you can, you can see it or feel it in, in, in men that this, you know, I, I, I saw this video of like this, 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 like this gangster drug, drug dealer on the corner of a street, just like angry and like dealing drugs. And someone came up to him and was like, uh, what are you holding back? He was fighting it. Like, what are you holding back? And then immediately he was just breaking down in tears. And most of men, if you see men who are like harsh and, and angry and aggressive, there's just a hurt kid in there that has to cry. And then we developed the shell to compensate for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For any woman out there who is like, okay, I am learning a lot from this. And I also want to support my man on being able to relax into his feminine. But what if, even if the, the, the man isn't spiritual or conscious yet, or as conscious as they want them to be, what are some simple things that women can do to help men feel safe to feel their emotions? Yeah, so it's a complicated question because I, I think this actually lies on men. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, 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 do, I do believe that. Like, if you're a man, it's, like, I think it's women put too much pressure on themselves. Like, they think, like, it's my responsibility that, that my man is on the field. Like, it's not your fucking responsibility. Like, it's on the man. The man should be able to communicate to things. I think it's, like, if your man is stonewalled off, then, like, you can't really do anything. I think at a base level, it's, like, Hey, I will love you equally and respect you equally if you show me vulnerability and, you, and you're emotional with me. My love for you won't change. My ability of viewing you as a man won't change. That's important. Once you've expressed that and he's still being, you know, just non-emotional, that's his problem, right? Like that, that, that's beyond your control. And you have to ask yourself, is that an experience I want? Do I want to be with someone who's stonewalled off? And then if not, then, then, then sayonara. You know, it's, it's on that. <laughs> So it's like, that's all you can do for, as, as women, like make sure to, that they, they know they're safe to feel it. And then the most important thing, men are scared to be emotional from their partner because they're, they're scared they're going to be viewed as weaker, that they're not going to be as sexually attractive. So maybe saying, again, I'll repeat it. It's like, I'll still find you as sexually attractive. I'll still find you as appealing if you're emotional. And women have to ask themselves, is that true, right? As a woman, will you be as sexually attracted to your partner if they're emotional? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we know. And, and that's okay, but then that's, that's reflective of you being like, okay, why is it the case? And then doing your own inner work to see that reality is, oh, why, why, why do I have that? What, what happened in my experience? And, and healing that in yourself, right? Because it, 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 it can be sexy for a man to, to feel, right? If a man is present with, with his heartbreak, it can be attractive. A man is present with his emotions and, and not blaming you for it, it can be attractive. But if the man is being like a victim, being like, you did this, da, 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 it can be unattractive. So it's a, it's a two-way street. 
Absolutely. And it pro it, I think it absolutely depends on the level of depth that the girl has as well, because if a girl is emotionally unavailable and then her man is trying to, you know, share all these emotions just like that, they're just like the opposite. The, the woman won't be able to hold space for that because they're going to be like, I can't even hold space for my own emotions. Now he's emotional. And that's, I feel like what maybe perpetrates the, the toxic pattern of like men not feeling like they can express their emotions. And it's just like a cycle that goes around. So I really appreciate you saying though, that, that though, because I know just from me, even that question was from my own wounding of like, I need to do everything to make this person feel safe enough to feel their emotions. And it's such a good, um, uh, reflection that you said of like, that's not on you. That's on the man to be able to dive deep and, and do the things that need to be done so that he's willing to open up to the woman. Yeah, that's why, why I say men have to integrate the feminine because most men unconsciously enter a relationship for the woman to do the feminine processing for them. Like unconsciously men will get into a relationship and the woman, they'll basically in their bodies and, and unconscious being, they're saying, you are responsible for handling my emotions and processing my emotions for me. And a woman takes that responsibility as theirs. So it's like, they feel it's their responsibility to make the man feel. A healthy, conscious man, ideally would enter a relationship being like, I'm in charge of my own processing feeling. And I'm just here to have this experience with you, to love you mm. and, and accept you as you are. It's not, that shouldn't be a thing for, for women. You know, a good man won't need his woman to process shit for him. I love that. So on the flip side, you know, I asked about the woman, the woman's point of view, but I'm sure there's going to be a few men listening to this. If a man is listening and he's like, okay, I have noticed that I have been repressing a lot of my emotions and I am ready to dive deeper into all the, all the things that, that Lucas has been talking about. What two tips would you have for them to start? where would you start with like feeling emotions being seen dealing with shame like where can they really begin it, it begins with everything starts with awareness i know it's a basic answer but you you have to have somatic awareness like so many of us men have like just completely checked out from our own bodies like we, have, we have no idea when we're feeling stuff like at all you know, like it, it starts with checking in your somatic being consistently, right? Like um, it can start even with like, um, like habits, right? Like after you work out or after you eat lunch, it's just checking with your body, being like, okay, what I'm feeling like. And, and the more you develop that awareness, the more that'll transfer, right? Because men can't feel if they don't know what's, what's there to feel. So it, it's just being very aware of, of asking yourself what, what's there. And that's a, that's a, it's called, you know, I, I recommend somatic therapy. It's a form of therapy that, that basically, you know, the, the Western approach to mental health is idiotic, in my opinion. It's, 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 it's truly damaging. It's just, it goes basically that it's, it's thoughts first, that you, who you are and your shit is, a, is, is because of the way you've been thinking, which to some degree is true, but your body and your, and your emotional state creates your thoughts. So it's like it, somatic therapy is the teaching of learning how to, how to process and feel the emotions stuck in your body to then learn how to think correctly. So I recommend for men to, if they, if they really are checked out and don't know how to feel, hire someone who can teach you how to feel and be in touch with yourself. Because um, for me, it's like a mind healing, healing journey. Like it, awareness is, is, is paramount. You know, if, if I'm in a trigger and I feel something, like my relationship to that feeling is what creates the healing. 
and 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 whether whether it be me being like, when have I felt this before? When did this happen? Um, where is my body? How is it affecting my thoughts? Just like, just start tuning in, going into yourself, and, and being very aware of what's going on. And 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 it, it may be tough, but it, you get a lot better as time goes on. I love your take on that, and I really do agree that feeling is a skill. I work with a lot of my clients that mostly are women and something that we work on often is sometimes if they never were taught how to identify their emotions, we work a lot on just identifying what they're feeling. I literally bring up a feeling chart and every every session we have, I'm like, what are you feeling? And it's crazy because, you know, in the start, they'll have to literally look at the chart for five minutes just to be like, okay, I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling this, I'm feeling that. And then like, 12 weeks in, they can just access their body without a chart and be like, I'm feeling calm. I'm feeling, I'm feeling good. And so I think it's okay. And I want to maybe destigmatize if you don't know how to feel, it might just be because in childhood you were never taught how to feel. And it really is a skill that you can develop, but I think it does take like your, like you mentioned, conscious awareness of just learning how to essentially learn the language of your body and what you're feeling <laughs> no doubt it's you, you know the the head on the what's the word coffin? the nail you on the head <laughs> or the yeah, i don't even know yeah it's you you need to be able to 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 feel and, and again you can, you, you can communicate that to your, to your body right like that that part of you it's it's in internal family system. It's called the protector. That there's a part of yourself that, for you to have a childhood, right? Like if I actually processed my trauma as a kid, I would not have a childhood. I'd be like dead probably. <laughs> I, I'm glad I I protected myself as a kid to have fun because the shit I went through. Um, I I couldn't have been able to have a childhood and 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 feel it. So it's like that part of you is highly intelligent, right? It, it protects you for a reason. But as an adult, it takes more than it gives you at a certain point, right? Like you lose mm-hmm. your empathy, you lose your, you lose your humanity, you lose your ability to have relationships, you lose your authenticity. So it's like communicate with that part, right? You can you can try and talk. It sounds crazy. You can talk to you know and say like, I am brave enough. I don't need protection as much anymore. I can feel. I I hear how you've you've done a good part in in saving me. I'm ready to experience and feel. And that part of you is is just trying to protect your inner child. That protector is there to, to help not to make your inner child safe. It's like a pit bull in a way. It's like a pit bull in front of a, inner, a little kid self. You have to kind of tell the pit bull in a way that the protector, you know, the inner child is safe with me. I got it. I, I can help feel this with them and process them. And until that's done, you're going to have a hard time feeling properly. What I'm hearing is honoring the part of you that, you needed to protect you at one point, but also realizing that that part of you is not needed anymore. Yep. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Lucas, for kind of giving us a little peek inside of a conscious male's brain. Cause I know that so many of my listeners are going to really appreciate this conversation and just have learned a lot about relationships, about rock bottoms, about moving through it, about conscious men, like all of it. It was such a juicy conversation. My last question I want to ask you is a question I ask a lot of my guests, but what's your favorite way to get back into alignment when you're out of alignment? I I reverse engineer. I know the basic question is going to be like, you know, meditate, drop in my heart, eat right. But it's like, I, I, I think the best way to come into alignment is to figure out what caused you to be out of alignment. That's the work, right? Like, like literally sitting down and writing out your day and seeing like, 
okay, everything was the same, but when I saw this one person, I felt different, right? And then being like, oh, that person may not be the best person for me, or I have to have a conversation with that person. So it's like, whenever I feel, I think, you know, in alignment or depression or anxiety, it's a spiritual compass. It's, it's telling you feedback of like, you have to shift something. So when I get that feeling of out of alignment, of depressed or anxious, I, I go, I sit back. I, you know, I, I, the part where meditation comes in is, 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 you know, removing my egoistic delusions and this channeling to a high vibration. Then I can see the, the, the catalog of all these things in my day or week and be like, yeah, that caused it. And the more you get good at doing that, the more you have like the, the after a year, have like a hundred things. That's when you learn to access your, your, your best version of yourself. Mm, I love that so much. Thank you so, so much. And to anyone who wants to stay in touch and stay connected, where can we find you on the interweb? Yeah, first of all, thank you so much for the, the conversation. You have a lot of beautiful insight that I'm sure your listeners gain a lot from. So thank you for doing this work. Um, and my information, I'm Lucas, L-U-C-A-S, two underscores, Salome, S-A-L-A-M-E on Instagram. Uh, my podcast is on YouTube and Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It's called the, the New Age Sage Podcast. Um, yeah, that's that's all. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, guys. I'll link everything below, and I'll see you in the next episode. Bye.